Thanks for tuning in. I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. And you're listening to The Creepy Burrito. Woo! Welcome back to another saucy Wednesday here at the Creepy Burrito. We finally made it through January and entered the month of love. And this month, we're getting romantic as fucking here because what's more romantic than an entire month of true crime? This month, we're talking about deadly women. A little theme of the month we're calling... Galentine slay. These ladies like to slice. They like to dice. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. (laughs) (laughs) And what better way to start this month's theme than Texas's very own Black Widow. Black Widow baby. (laughs) And her name is Betty Lou Beats. Nothing beats the beats. (laughs) Black Widow Betty. So, here we go. Betty Lou Beats, originally named Betty Lou Devant, was born in Roxboro, North Carolina on March 12, 1937. She was one of four children born to sharecropper parents, Margaret and James Dunavant, and she had a rather rough upbringing. Her parents both suffered from alcoholism and in turn were very poor. At age three, Betty came down with the measles, which weakened her immune system and ultimately led to several severe ear infections. These ear infections left her with impaired hearing and the disability also affected her speech. And due to her family's lack of money and just overall time frame of when she grew up, she never received hearing aids or any special training on how to deal with or overcome her disability. Later on in life, when she actually started school, she struggled to hear her teachers and reportedly was made fun of by her classmates. Mm. Super shitty. Yeah, she seems uh, pretty neglected. Oh, it gets worse. Oh, no. So at the age of five, her father moved the family just across the border to Danville, Virginia to take a better paying job as a machinist at the Langley Research Center. For the first time in her life, her family seemed like they were on the verge of stability. However, Betty claims that this was the start of the sexual abuse she received by her family members throughout her early childhood years, including being raped by her own father. At the age of 12, her mother suffered a psychotic breakdown and ended up being hospitalized for a week. And when she returned home, she was never the same. She started having hallucinations and pretty much became hysterical. Even with all the different medications she was on and all her frequent doctor's trips, The issues persisted, and eventually she was institutionalized at Eastern State Hospital. So with her mother being institutionalized, young Betty, being the second oldest, took on the burden of raising her younger brother and sister, even more so when her father fell into a deep depression and started drinking even more heavily. Allegedly, he would fall into these drunken rages where he would just beat Betty and the other children with his belt 
over like the smallest of indiscretions. And unfortunately, this was just the start of the abuse in Betty's life. Oh, yikes. He was actual like human garbage. Yeah. Just a walking, talking trash Oh, guy. yeah. So at the age of 15, fresh out of ninth grade, Betty married Robert Franklin Branson, who at the time was 19. And a year later, they had a daughter together. Now, the marriage was previously arranged by her mentally ill mother, and because of this early marriage, Betty did not get to finish her education and left school. After their first year of marriage, Betty claimed that Robert was both physically and emotionally abusive, and the couple separated. However, following Betty's suicide attempt, the couple reconnected and got back together. It's not certain i know that she resented the fact that she wasn't able to finish her schooling so Mm. i'm not sure if it's if it was because of that or if she suffered like from postpartum depression it was pretty much like taboo to talk about having postpartum depression so because you're a woman it's natural Mm. you're supposed to have babies you're supposed to be used to that yeah why are you sad but uh the couple ended up staying together for actually the next 17 years and they ended up having a total of five more kids. So, like, altogether, six kids. Around this time, Betty also started taking Dexatrim, which is a weight loss medicine that caused her, for some reason, to have extreme mood swings. Uh, her family said that she would actually become, like, a completely different person. And sometimes when she was talking, she would just abruptly switch into, like, a coarser voice and use curse words. Mm-hmm. but would have no recollection of doing it afterwards. Well, weren't, like, old-school weight loss pills, like, speed? Yeah, b- basically. basically. So I, could, I Dude, can see that. I remember taking a weight loss pill once, and I literally was running around my house cleaning everything mm-hmm. for no reason other than me taking this diet pill. Heart is racing. You're just sitting there sweating. I literally, like, became Hercules and, like, lifted the couch <laughs> and was cleaning underneath the couch and, like... Cleaning the window seals. Who does that? Trim spa. Trim spa, baby. (laughs) So at the age of uh, 29, Betty actually started going to bars a lot, seeking the attention of the men that were there, and pretty much ignoring her responsibilities at home. Betty liked having a good time, and wasn't really interested in upkeeping of the house and raising six kids. Eventually, over time, she started spending more time at these bars rather than at home, and eventually, Robert just couldn't take it anymore and ended the marriage in 1969. Betty said that she was devastated, both financially and emotionally, and eventually turned to alcohol to cope with her divorce. According to Betty, Robert did very little to support the children, and the money that she received from welfare agencies was inadequate and even further fueled her drinking problem. In late 1970, Betty met Billy York Lane, who proposed to her only a few months after dating. Again, Betty found herself in an abusive relationship as Billy began to beat her whenever he got mad, which then escalated to the point of him just punching and throwing her around daily. Three months after their marriage, Betty actually took out a restraining order against Billy and divorced him two months later. But Billy began to sit in his car at night, half a block away from Betty's house, waiting for her to come home from work just to fight with her. Now, it all came to a head one night on January 17th, 1972, during an argument where he ended up punching her, which broke her nose, and then he threatened to kill her. 
to which Betty retaliated by picking up a gun and shooting him twice in the back of the head. So Betty was arrested and charged with attempted murder. However, days before her hearing, Billy signed an affidavit saying that he had threatened to kill her first and the court had to drop the attempted murder charge to a misdemeanor of aggravated assault. So why did he sign an affidavit? Like, why did he admit to that? Well, apparently all the drama of the trial rekindled their relationship as the two remarried in 1972 and uh, divorced again a month later. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. So, like, what I read was that while before their trial or before her trial ever started... She actually, like, started hanging out with him again, and he suffered nerve damage from her shooting him, and so she would teach him, she was, like, taking care of him and, like, taught him how to, like, walk again, I guess, apparently, and I don't know if he just must have been, like, oh, okay, it's fine, and then he signed, he signed that affidavit saying that, no, you know, she, I threatened to kill her first. She was in self-defense. So they dropped the charge oh. and she just got aggravated assault. And then right after the trial was done, they remarried and then divorced a month later. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to find somebody that matches your crazy. And that's, <laughs> Well, it wasn't him because uh, they divorced again. <laughs> uh, they're fucking nuts. So. They were too much crazy for each other. Well, him. see, a lot of people actually think that he didn't even threaten to kill her. That he mm-hmm. just punched her in the nose. And then while he was walking away, she shot him. But at the same time, um, I mean, a lot of people are saying, like, why would he have said that he threatened to kill her if he didn't, but then there's the whole workings of, like, she was taking care of him and he might have just got swooned by her charm because apparently she was very good-looking back in the day. Like, blonde mm-hmm. hair, blue eyes, she's five So I take two. it by the end of this, she did she was not petite. very good-looking. <laughs> well, okay, we'll get there, but... <laughs> So, in 1973, at the age of 36, Betty relocated to Little Rock, Arkansas, and began dating a man named Ronnie Threlkold, who she met while waitressing at a topless bar. Ronnie was a salesman, and the two apparently hit it off right away, and they married in 1978. But just like the rest of her marriages, it was full of violence. The two would get into heated arguments all the time, and Ronnie would just end up pushing her around. The marriage ultimately ended a year later in 1979 when Betty tried to run Ronnie over with her car after an argument. Did she succeed? No, no, no. Apparently he got out of the way just at the nick of time, but got the message and was like, okay, we, we're done. And yeah. Divorced. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty clear uh, right. side. Yeah. So shortly after that, Betty was actually arrested at the topless place where she worked and uh, did 30 days in jail, in county jail, for public lewdness. So at the age of 42, Betty was single again, raising her son Robert, or Bobby, who was in middle school, while the rest of the kids were either already on their own or living with their father. But it wasn't long before she met another man named Doyle Wayne Barker. Now, Doyle was a tall and handsome roofer man who went by the name Wayne. He was a hard worker and was a pretty nice guy overall. They had a lot lot in common and enjoyed each other's company and married him in 1979, right before the ink was dry on her divorce 
1979. So, like, literally, she got divorced and remarried in the same year. So the two lovebirds settled in a brand new trailer in the community of Cedar Creek Lake near Gun Barrel City, Texas. However, wasn't long before this marriage ended up just like the rest. Betty was telling her daughter Shirley that Wayne was just same old guy, just as abusive as the rest of the men in her life, and, you know, things were getting bad. Finally, Wayne had enough after a heated argument with Betty, and he ended up leaving town uh, and leaving her behind in 1981. And eventually, Betty filed for divorce under the grounds of abandonment and was yet single again. Less than a year later, Betty met retired fireman and avid fisherman Jimmy Don Beats, and later married him in August of 1982. Now, they moved into a home near Cedar Creek Lake in Henderson County, Texas. Jimmy drew in about $1,200 monthly from his pension and was by far the most well-off husband that Betty has ever had. He was well-liked in his community and was known as, like, a pretty handy guy, like, even doing little projects around the house. Like, he built Betty a wishing well in the front yard for people to see. And it was only a matter of time before Betty started confiding in her son that Jimmy was starting to hit her, too. And then, on August 6th, 1983, Betty reported that her husband was missing. A caravan of firemen and Jimmy's friends drove down from Dallas to actually search for him, and the next day's bass fishing contest actually just turned into a huge search party looking for him, yet there was no sign of their friend Jimmy. Six days later, on August 12th, 1983, Jimmy's boat washed up on Cedar Creek Lake near the Redwood Beach Marina, which led police to conduct a few more weeks of investigations in attempt to find the body near the lake. Authorities discovered his fishing license and his heart medication tablets inside of his life jacket, and thinking back to what Betty said when she reported him missing, that he had gone out fishing and never returned, they decided that his death was likely accidental. Believing that he had fallen overboard and drowned, the police spent three weeks dragging the lake looking for Jimmy's body, but found nothing, and the investigation ceased. Now, I know what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Given Betty's track record, I'm surprised that she wasn't looked into any further. But Jimmy's father and his son kind of suspected foul play and were suspicious of Betty, like, from the get-go. But Cedar Creek Lake is pretty large and has about 20 miles of shoreline. And without a body, there's no evidence to support a murder. So it just kind of... Kind of died off. Died off. That is... Until two years later, when the Henderson County Sheriff's Department got a pretty credible report from a confidential informant that indicated Jimmy's death might involve foul play. And that informant was none other than Robert Branson, Betty's son. Oh. He had told cops the entire story said that his mother, Betty, had taken out a $100,000 life insurance policy on Jimmy without his knowledge, and that she intended to murder him and collect the life insurance and pension benefits, which definitely implicates a motive, but what he told them next shocked them completely. He had helped her. Oh, no. How old was he at the time? He was oh. 19 at the time. Oh! And he was 21 when he finally 
told the cops. Oh, yikes. Yikes, buddy. Oh, no. (laughs) So as the story goes, on the evening of August 6, 1982, Betty informed Robert that she intended to kill Jimmy and instructed him to leave the residence while she did so. Uh, Robert said he did as he was told, and then he returned approximately two hours later to find Jimmy dead with two gunshot wounds into the head. He then helped his mom bury the body in the yard of their Texas home inside the wishing well that Jimmy had just (gasps) built days prior. Oh. Yep. Oh, yikes. And then the next day, Robert again assisted his mother by removing the propeller from Jimmy's boat while Betty staged the rest of the scene by scattering Jimmy's heart medication, his glasses, and fishing license throughout the boat. Yeah. (laughs) So... After this, clearly, the police had enough information to arrest Betty. And on June 6th of 1985, the Mansfield Police Department did just that. Showed up to the house, police arrested Betty, took her away, while the sheriff's deputies stayed to search the house. And search the well, sure enough, found the remains of Jimmy Beats. And, as a surprise twist... Police also located the remains of Doyle Wayne Barker, Betty's fourth husband, containing three bullet holes buried under a shed on Betty's property. Oh, no. Yeah. Betty, that's not looking good. No, it's not looking good for you, Betty. Betty. And the bullet holes in Wayne's body matched the 38 caliber pistol that was found in Betty's possession, which she also used to kill Jimmy. Mm. Both men killed by the same gun. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Betty's trial began on July 11th, 1985, and several witnesses actually came forth and confirmed that she had told them about her plan, that she wanted his life insurance money and his pension, so killed him or was planning to kill him to inherit it. And among those who decided to testify against her at the trial was her son, Robert, who gave his eyewitness account of Jimmy's murder and him helping his mother to hide the body. And then that's when the prosecution released their smoking gun, Shirley Branson, Betty's daughter. Shirley took the stand and gave her own eyewitness testimony on her mother's murder of Doyle Wayne Barker. Apparently, not only did Betty call her son to help with the murder of Jimmy, she'd also called Shirley to help with the murder of Wayne. Oh, yikes. Ah, family traditions. Oh, I mean, that really brings the family together, though. (laughs) Or tears them apart. Or or tears them (laughs) apart, you know? You're bonded for life or death. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Whichever one. Whichever one. So Shirley stated that her mom had actually confided in her that Wayne was abusive. And then Shirley said that she had told her mom to leave him and to divorce him. But Betty said that he would just take the trailer and leave her on an empty plot of land. And that she was afraid that he might even be angry enough to kill her if she tried to leave. Eventually stating to her daughter that the only way to escape him was to kill him. And when the moment came, Shirley felt obligated to help so that her mother did not get caught. So she went and helped her mom drag Wayne's body out of the trailer and into the backyard to bury him. When Betty herself then took the stand to testify, she, of course, pled not guilty. 
and claimed that she had not committed the murders, but instead that her children were the true murderers. Oh, Which yikes. is kind of... That's kind of sad. Yeah. yeah. But despite her argument, Betty was found guilty for the murder of Jimmy and was sentenced to death. And when she heard the jury's verdict of being guilty, apparently she collapsed and had to be hospitalized for the night. Now, because she had already received the death penalty for Jimmy's murder, she Mm -hmm. wasn't tried for the murder of Wayne, although it is the general consensus that she committed that murder as well because he was found buried. It seems to be a pattern. This (laughs) whole story seems to have some sort Mm -hmm. of pattern Mm -hmm. here, guys. Now, Betty and her new lawyers filed for motions of ineffectiveness of counsel Betty claimed that her attorney during the trial had set her up for failure and apparently botched her defense because he wanted to make money from selling the media rights to her story. Betty said that the long history of emotional, psychological, physical, and sexual abuse were all factors that were never presented as evidence during her trial. And according to Betty, her son and daughter lied putting their mother on death row in exchange for a prosecutor's promise to let them free, let them go free. Yeah, but why would they admit to that if, because if they wouldn't have admitted to it, then they were never being looked into in the first place. So why would they bring that up? Right, like everyone up until that point had just assumed that her fourth husband, Wayne, like literally skipped town. Yeah. And it pretty much for her fifth and final husband was that he fell overboard and drowned maybe was having some sort of heart issue trying to take his pills and just fell over had a heart attack and drowned in the water something like that you know to that extent there was no no one was honing in or looking too deeply at betty or her children so why would robert branson come forward to say Yeah, why would they need immunity if they weren't being looked into in the first place? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But Betty was actually convicted before, like, battered women's syndrome became recognized as a defense and could be used in court. So Betty received no sympathy for her case, especially since there were actually no records or documentation of the abuse from her last two husbands, the Mm -hmm. ones that she killed. Yeah. Uh, Especially Jimmy. By all means, he was a very good man. But Betty ended up writing her own testimony about her life and experiences in a book called From Darkness to Light, A Battered Woman's Story from Texas Death Row, where she described how she believes the truth was absent from her trial, even though all this story was available to the court. She says her attorney failed to present any of the witnesses or photographs of her beaten and bruised black eyes, which would have shown the abuse that she lived day in and day out. She also said, they knew nothing of my past to pass a sentence of death. They never knew I was deaf and could not hear during my trial, only in parts. I couldn't hear enough to know what was going on. There were no speakers. I didn't know there could be, for I had never been in a court trial before. Something went wrong. During Betty's time in prison, she was eventually moved to a private cell in death row that she shared with three other female death row inmates and became very good friends with Carla Faye Tucker, who was also sentenced to death for killing two people with a pickaxe during a burglary. 
So together, finding the label Death Row too depressive, the good friends decided to call their new home Life Row. And Betty said, we call it that because Jesus lives here. Oh, well, that's kind of cute that mm-hmm. they uh, developed a friendship. Yeah. Well, they actually started a sewing circle and they met together for Bible studies and prayer, which is when Betty became a born-again Christian and spoke pretty adamantly about how God changed her life in prison. Well, honestly, if she's she seems like she's had a pretty rough go at life uh, with all of these uh, different tumultuous relationships. Mm. So... In prison, she probably had some sort of sense of security. Like, she felt safe. She didn't have, like, all these different men in her lives, like, because she couldn't have a domestic, abusive relationship while you're in prison. And plus, she probably sobered up some, too. Oh, yeah. It said that she, most of her time in prison, she spent doing, like, craft projects, like quilting. Mm -hmm. And uh, she uh, read a lot of... Uh, books about battered women like Mm -hmm. just trying to heal herself yeah like focus on herself basically um and then this was the part that i mentioned earlier so whenever she got arrested for the murder of her husband jimmy she was very scary looking she looks very angry but after spending time on death row and in prison the dallas observer described her by saying she was a well-groomed pleasantly plump And matronly, Betty Beats looks every bit the East Texas grandma, the kind you might see shopping at Walmart, not at all the sorts of woman, to murder a couple of husbands. Just a couple. (laughs) And this is what she looked like after. Oh, she did get like a little grandma glow up. That is actually kind of cute. Yeah, she got a grandma glow up for sure. Especially when you look at her first picture and she's so she's mean and in that picture. She's smiling. Yeah, she smiling. has this inner glow. I'm glad that, mm-hmm. like, Life Row right. gave her something back. Betty, she well, she actually gained a lot of support as a result of, like, her troubled past. Mm-hmm. And supporters acknowledged the injustices that she faced and... Pretty much, like, her evidence of, like, past trauma not being accurately presented in court. Uh, The Texas Council of Family Violence has stated that Beat's life is a chronicle of virtually uninterrupted physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. She was severely abused as a child and was battered by multiple husbands. Beats suffered from severe learning disabilities and a hearing impairment she had had since early childhood. She also suffers from organic brain damage caused by repeated blows at the hands of abusive men. So Betty ended up staying on death row for 15 years, filing the maximum number of appeals, including a habeas corpus petition and a last-minute plea for clemency, asking then-Texas Governor and future President George W. Bush to grant her mercy. He ultimately declined her request, saying, I'm confident that the courts, both state and federal, have thoroughly reviewed all the issues raised by the defendant. Betty's other daughter, Faye Lane, told the parole board, all my mama's life she's been abused. I've seen it with my own eyes. Betty herself actually went on record by saying this, I can now understand how these things happened to me, but I couldn't then. Just as there are so many women in the world who can't know how or why the battering is going on in their lives 
or how to get out of it for good. If you ever believed that this time would be the last, trust me, it won't. How far can it go? I'm on death row, and they plan to take my life soon. I wished many a time I had died at the hands of my husband, and I wondered why as well. I know now I didn't know how to get out of that life. There was no one else who cared enough to save me from myself. I really believe that to kill me is to tell every battered woman and child, every abused woman and child, that there is not a chance, that there is no end but death, that we can't fight back. It doesn't have to be this way, and God help us all if it happens this way. So after 10 years of appeals, Betty's execution date finally came. She declined a final meal, and she declined any last final words. And according to prison staff, Betty was very scared to die. Many protesters and sympathizers, along with reporters, gathered outside the prison before the execution to fight for Betty's life. But on February 24th, 2000, at 6.18 p.m. in Huntsville, Texas prison, Betty was executed by lethal injection. At the time of her execution, she was only 62 years old. She had five children, nine grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren, who all very rarely visited her during the years she lived on death row. Her lawyer actually was there to witness the execution, saying that her eyes were cold as fish while she awaited her death. He really tried to do the best that he could to save her life, but just as many people believed that she was worth saving, there were just as many people who found justice in her execution. James Beats, which was the son of Jimmy Beats, said, I really don't know what to say. This has been a long 17 years. This is my dad's granddaughter. She will never see her grandfather. But today, we need to make a statement and stop all of this murder because it's putting people, good people, through things like this. We need to get the Lord back into the United States, into people's hearts, and quit this killing of kids, grown-ups, of murder, period. No one deserves to go through this. And I ask God to be with her family. Now she knows what we feel like. And Rodney Barker, who was the son of Doyle, or Wayne Barker, said, I would like to just thank the state of Texas tonight for the 19 years of misery they have put me through. I saw justice tonight. I can say that I have accepted what Betty has done, and I'd like to thank the people here in Huntsville. We're tired of hearing about Betty Beats. We want people to know that the victims have rights too. I want the world to know that there is always going to be a death penalty in the state of Texas, and they need to use it. Each case warrants different sentences. I can forgive Betty. It's going to take a lot more time to get total forgiveness, but I have accepted it. She's made my life. I am a strong man for it, and I have to tell you these days, the only thing that I wished I could have got out of this tonight was a confession. During Betty's time in prison, she had always maintained her innocence, never admitting guilt to killing her husbands. Yes, she is known as a black widow, and her killings shocked the nation, but we also have to remember that her story is one that also consisted of extreme domestic violence and is full of heartbreak, no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's always going to be controversial on like any case that you look at where a woman is coming from those circumstances. There's always going to be that flip of the coin. How can you validate taking a life? Like, how is that equal? Or there's the whole psychology behind 
after going through that much abuse. So it's just always going to be controversial. All right. I mean, you figure... How do you validate that? You figure people can only take so much Mm -hmm. before they snap. And it's very clear that she obviously was abused most of her life. And, you know, along with that, abuse comes with some sort of mental illness, whether she, you know, had it all along or just over time, just like when you are put into that mindset of these are the only way that all of these men are treating you or just people in general treating you, you come to accept that that's normal and she might have just been like all men are scum and it's almost like she lost her fight or flight mechanism well like she was just always in fight and you you know what i mean there was there was there was no claims like of a i mean there there were no actual records or documentation that she received abuse from jimmy but she was telling her children that she was being beat no one's gonna know because she she never gave a confession as to why she decided to kill them or mm-hmm. you know what was going through her mind because she always upheld her did innocence. she ever like recant the fact that like saying that her kids did it nope. or is that what she stood by that's why she is what she stood by that her kids were the true murderers and they put their mother on death row so that way they didn't go to jail so was there any reasoning why they would have no these just husbands, that they like... got into arguments with them and shot them oh that's it. no details of what argument was about or anything like that just they got into arguments and killed them that's it yeah see that's that's kind of right it's not a very solid no structure of of a pointing of the finger but i do escape plan though i do understand that like during the time of her trial like battered women syndrome wasn't a thing so like yes there was no evidence of her abuse throughout her you know entire life and the way that she was treated and and just everything like that but you also have to think about it from a standpoint of does the fact that she was abused and treated this way by others in her life justify killing someone else mm-hmm. who may or may not have done that to her. She she had the mental capacity to know, understand what she was doing and mm-hmm. knowing that it was wrong. So, like, any sort of, like, right. sanity plea, you can't say that you didn't know if you hid the bodies mm-hmm. and buried them. And, like, not saying that, like, a 19-year-old boy couldn't kill someone but also like i've been 19 i know how stupid 19 year olds are would they have really thought through thoroughly let me take this propeller off the boat let me wade this boat out here let me scatter these pills around let me put his fishing license his glasses and his jacket there you know like i don't know necessarily if that would have been so and plus you're 19 you would just leave also the fact that fucking betty had ironically jimmy dig his own grave yeah (laughs) i do like her prison glow up though yeah if there's one thing that i do um if i have to say it say that i like about this case i do like that she felt comfortable in prison she had a safe space because no matter how it happened like out of her life story, it sounds like prison was the best thing that happened to oh, her. Right. And she, she definitely got, like, a second chance at it. Yeah, she was not around any men she didn't have to worry about. And she 
found herself, did some she healing. She found God. She did crafts. She made quilts. I really enjoy that they described her as a pleasantly plump grandmother that you would find shopping at Walmart. Yeah, that is very um, soothing. And actually, once you guys look at these pictures, you'll understand. And where... Can they look at these pictures at? You can look at those fucking pictures <laughs> on our socials at Instagram, Facebook. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's we all we're willing post to. Them on Twitter. I'm sorry. That's all the effort that we're willing to put in. Yeah. Uh, do that at the Creepy Burrito. Or you can always write us a sweet ass review on whatever your streaming device is. We love them. Yeah. Fucking do it. Do it. And send us a fucking email if you want at thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. And do not forget to give us a donation at buymeacoffee slash creepyburrito. Donate to the podcast. Give a burrito its wings. Fuel your podcast. of a burrito. Fly away (laughs) from here. And then just sad burritos all Ooh, over just the Just sobbing sauce. Just, just hot sauce. Either red enchilada sauce, sometimes queso. That was too cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, see ya fucking later. See ya fucking later. Bye. Valentine's sleigh day things. I hope so, because you got you got (laughs) got a couple of them. (laughs) We're gonna keep chopping some shit up, guys. Boop, boop, boop. Bye.